Podo. You're listening to Movers and Shakers, a podcast about living with Parkinson's. The show is generously sponsored by Boardwave, an exclusive European networking community for software CEOs. Boardwave is a passionate supporter of Cure Parkinson's. For more details on the charity's progress around research and its fundraising, please visit cureparkinson's.org.uk. Hello, and once again, we're gathered together in this pub to have a moan and more moaning and, <laughs> and a few laughs and occasionally, and then a lot of more moaning. I'm, I'm Paul Mayhew Archer, and I'm going to go around and introduce everybody. So you are... Rory Kesson-Jones. And... Nicholas Mostyn. Gillian Lacey-Solomar. And Jeremy Batsman. Mark Mardell. Thank you very much indeed. As I say, I'm Paul Mayhew Archer, and this week's episode is called You're On Your Own. And that, of course, is what you all say to me when I suggest doing an episode on <laughs> Parkinson's and sex and constipation. <laughs> you're on your own. You're on your own, Paul. <laughs> yeah, definitely We, we say that so much. And so, so I want to put your minds at rest and disappoint some of our listeners, no doubt, by saying this episode is not about sex and constipation but, and about the embarrassing stuff. It's about living alone with Parkinson's. Now, luckily, we don't live alone. I say luckily, I don't feel so lucky when my wife confiscates my secret stash of chocolate. But I'd like to go round the table and ask for uh, just little practical examples of how our other halves help us with our Parkinson's. So, Roy? Well, my wife takes a robust attitude, which I think is quite good. There's not a lot of fuss there, there, dear. In fact, my very first symptom, which was dragging my feet on holiday, it was, pick your feet up, man. And she is sympathetic, but she's robustly sympathetic, and I can handle it. And is that good for you? I that think way? that is good for me, yeah. I, I don't need to be told, there, there, dear. And do you need to be helped in any way? I need to be helped to get up out of a chair from time to time, and she's reasonably sympathetic about that. And Nick? I'm very lucky. My wife is by far the kindest, nicest, cleverest person I've ever met, and she is devoted to me, inexplicably. She's devoted to me, and in relation to my Parkinson's, she's constantly concerned. On practical detail, I get a text or a telephone call five minutes after I'm due to have taken my pills saying, have you taken your medication? Oh, I, I get that yeah. too. Yeah. Have Absolutely. you taken your pills? Have you taken your pills? Yes. At five minutes. So five past and have one. you taken your pills? Yes, I have. At five past seven, five past one, I get the, I get the call. But I, I am very blessed in having such a devoted companion. Fantastic. Gillian? Well, I don't know where to start, really. I was told off by a friend this morning, actually, for saying that my key piece of advice was, um, which I said a few weeks ago, was marry the right man, which she said was very unhelpful. <laughs> um, but, I mean, for me, I don't think I could exist without Mike, which makes me incredibly dependent, which is slightly scary. But I was just drawn up a tiny, tiny list here, which is, for example... For sleep. So I'm in often so much pain, my foot, when I go to sleep. He's developed a technique where he can put his knee behind my foot, hold it up at a certain angle and fall asleep like that. So that's just one way. Oh. And we sleep like that all night, and well, until I wake up anyway. That's first thing. Second thing is physically, you know, I often require carting around. Actually lifting up to go upstairs and things, so he does that which I don't know how you lot cope if you... You know, we couldn't do that the other end, way around physically. And then I suppose psychologically, you know, he, he's there all the time. I don't know what we would have done if this had struck earlier, much earlier, when he was working full-time, because now he works from home a lot. I don't want to be clichéd, but he's 
everything. Hard not to say he's, that he's everything. He's yeah. a rock. He's mm. just, yeah. and he does it all with such an amazing sense of humour and just lightness of touch as though we're nothing. Jeremy. Uh, I will be lost without my partner. Absolutely lost. And I feel slightly embarrassed at, at admitting that weakness, but that's how it is. And I cannot think of how I would have managed without her. Is that psychologically or and, and also practically. practically? Both. Uh, Mark? Well, a lot of emotional support, of course, but also practically, I'd say, Joe, has, I don't drive anymore. I can. I'm allowed to, but I don't. I don't think it's wise. So she does all the driving, and that's a tremendous strain on her, I think. Mm. And also, just little things. I'm not too bad, apart from the voice, and she can't do much about that. Mm. But, I mean, yesterday she had to... I open an easy peel tin of mackerels for me because it wasn't easy peel for me. And I have a particularly... Easy peel mackerel? Yes. Like tins of, you know, like oh, you get these... What an insight to your life. <laughs> it's a horrible insight. I don't like the idea of easy peel mackerel at all. No. Well, we had we were redoing our kitchen and we had masses of this stuff, so I thought I'd eat some. Aren't we lucky, though? We've all, each of us has an has incredibly supportive... And, yeah. And, very, I find, very, very and I find, and I have a In my own case, well, this week I had to go to the hospital to have some tests, and the tests required that I be off my tablets. So therefore, I was moving very, very slowly, and uh, I had Julie with me. Luckily, because to get to the reception area, I had to go through many doorways, and the doors in hospitals have these things where you press a button on a wall that unlocks the door, and then you have to push open the door. And because the, the, the button, the bloody button, is some way from the door, you have to push the button and then stagger to the, the door to open it before it closes again. And if it's like a computer game. If Julie <laughs> hadn't been with me, we'd never have got through the door because I, I couldn't make it to the door in, in time before it closed. I have a secret worry about getting locked out of the house. I mean... I fiddle around with the key for ages. Yes. And I feel much more reassured if Joe's there yes. behind me. Yes. Yeah. But there, I mean, there is a, a real concern, which is deriving from our conversation, is how do people who are diagnosed with Parkinson's who live alone cope? Well, we're lucky. We have someone who is diagnosed with Parkinson's who does live alone, and his, his, his name is Nick. And uh, I wanted to talk to him today and brought him on because he has the experience of living alone with Parkinson's that we don't have. Well, welcome. Nick. Thank you. How long have you been on your own with Parkinson's? Oh, well, I was diagnosed in 2016, been living on my own for over 20 years anyway. So I find it quite easy because I'm used to being on my own and doing things myself anyway. I don't really think about somebody else helping me. So certain issues become difficult. The rigidity that, for example, with Parkinson's in putting on your socks and shoes but, of course, you can get a device to help you with that. You can. You can. <laughs> I thought you'd invented it. An auto shoe. I don't know if I can say the name, but there's an item called Socks On. <laughs> socks On. S-O-X-O-N. And you put your sock on it and you, you just pull it over your foot. And, Does it do socks and, off as well? No, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's really good. I need yeah. one. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. it's funny and you don't you fall over that. doing it. Because I, I, I had to take my shoes and socks off at the, at the doctor's not too long ago, and I brought this along with me, and he was amazed. And he said, I, I can think of so many patients that could use one of those. Yeah. 
But in, Socks in, on, I never remember that. And things that are difficult for us parkies, like turning over in bed and getting up out of bed. A device was given to me by social services that goes under the bed that I can hang on like a kind of a rail and pull myself out of bed. So there are all sorts of things out there that can help you. But you need to find them, don't you? That's not the challenge. It is a bit of a challenge, but, you know, there are companies out there. Have occupational health given you any? To a certain extent, yes. With the help, the bed aid, they helped me with that. That's terrific. And what Um, about The things that are difficult, you, you really would like somebody to be there with, is medication and the mental aspect. Remembering things. Yes, remembering things. Yeah, yeah. And um, also the mental side of things, when you have that attack of anxiety that can hit at any time, having to calm yourself down rather than having somebody there to, to feed off, well, I can imagine, support you. I don't know how I'd cope with that. Well, my, mindfulness my is, is, is a, a very good way of doing it. And um, my neurologist told me a very good tip one time. He said, um, mostly for dyskinesia, that can increase with anxiety. Can you say, say what dyskinesia and, is? For... Uh, dyskinesia is involuntary body movement, so you can have it on or off, but your body just starts to move and shake. And he said, try closing your eyes. And mm, really? I, that helps? Uh, yeah, you close your eyes and, and just relax. Wow. And that helps a lot, yeah. What's oh, the psychological wow. impact of living alone with Parkinson's for you? I don't have anything to compare it with, Nick, so it's a, a difficult answer. But, I mean, do you, do you feel very lonely, isolated? Do you feel...? I don't because I have a support mechanism. I have a brother who lives nearby, I have a sister who lives nearby. I have friends that I can call. And do you call them? on my phone. Do you call the friends? I do if I have a, a real bad bout of anxiety, yeah. Mm. How do you call them, do you have...? Well, uh, just a, a quick, you know, hello Siri on my phone. <laughs> Yeah. And they come round or they just talk to you on the phone? And they'll call me first. The they'll call me first and then if they need to, they'll come round. Yeah. So you've had to fix up a support network. <laughs> so you, you, That's right. You build that up around you. Yeah. And I've uh, always been somebody that's talked openly about it right from the beginning. So um, I think you know, if I go into a pub and I want a pint and I can't carry it back to the table where I'm sitting, I'll just say, can you bring that over to me? And you people know? are delighted to be asked. Yeah, they are actually people. Are I very walk with helpful. a stick, and people very often say, yeah. yes. "Do you want me to help you up there?" Or you that gr- sort of thing. It's I, it's good. I found myself on a crowded train the other day, standing and thinking, "God, I'm not in, really enjoying this," and not quite daring to, to ask to young play the people. Parking guard. You yeah, don't look yeah. ill enough. For what no, yeah, yeah. That, no, that's, well, I didn't. that's what I felt. You stood all the way. I stood all the way. Oh my God. Are yeah. you a great sportsman? I was, yes. I, I played tennis and golf until just recently. I see you're recently. wearing a Royal Liverpool shirt. Yeah, yes. So they're playing the Open there this year, aren't they? Yeah. So you were... And I played rugby for far too long, so... Are you playing games now? Or I is that... still play tennis occasionally, but it's getting more difficult. It's the sudden movements that you need in tennis that are difficult to do. Have you thought about table tennis? I haven't thought about table tennis. It's a NAF sport. Yeah. I know it's a NAF sport, but it is a, it's a great thing. I've heard somebody say that, actually. Yeah. Mm. Well, we'll arrange a game of table tennis between you and Jeremy. Is yeah. that okay? Are you <laughs> constantly picking up tips and as to how to, to adapt to life as the, as the illness changes? or Do you find you have to do that more because you, you're on your own? Yes, you do have to adapt. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Picking up is one of the things that's a problem, but, of course, you have a grabber for that. 
as well. So there's all these little devices that help. Have well, you joined any actual support groups? I am a member of the Oxford group that Paul's a member of. And does that and help? that's great support. That helps. Yes, tremendously. Surely the, the, the big problem is, is not necessarily the crisis, but just the fact that every now and then you want to have a moan. You do. <laughs> um, you really do. And there's nobody to moan to. You may not think, it, oh, it's, this is not serious enough for me to ring somebody, but I'd really like a good old moan. Poor little me. <laughs> why, why is it me? Why have I got this? On the other hand, I find so it, it would be quite useful to have nobody there who is moaning at me. Yes. <laughs> Well, I just tell myself that uh, if it's something that I think that I can't do, I, I will just say, come on, you've done this all your life. Get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you do it. You know, you just. So you have a voice inside you that's like Roy's voice. Well, oh, it doesn't <laughs> stop. <laughs> I don't think Jeremy was saying that a smidgen of self pity is unnatural if you're. No, I don't, think it's, I don't yeah. think it's unnatural. But I do think it's perfectly. Difficult to live with if you if you got it by yourself. Yes, well, I mean, I don't I'm think just trying is... to get my head around how Nick here manages everything, and it's, yeah. it's very. I mean, he says he hasn't got a choice, so he's got to make the most of it. I think one of the things that that bothers me more than anything is as it progresses, as it gets worse, and I become less capable of looking after myself. What are going to be my options? What art would you be your option? I would love to be able to answer that, Paul. Yes. Yeah, I really would. I think there's a lot of people out there that worry about that. Well, I bet you're very know. lucky you're that you, you belong to the Ox you live in the Oxford area. I am. And you belong to the Oxford group. Because that seems one of the best groups in the country, I think. It's a tremendous group and we have lots of activities going on. Wonderful support. Thank you very much indeed, Nick. That's My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very absolutely much. Absolutely fantastic. So if we could bring in Sally, because Sally has been a a founder member of the and a leading member of the Oxford group for some time. And Sally is, is all about bringing people together. Can you tell us, Sally, about the, the, the big cream tea that you organised recently and why you organised it? The big cream tea. Well, many years ago, I used to hold cream teas in my garden because people enjoyed them. And I always made sure that we had a variety of people there. We had researchers, we had our neurologists, we had people with Parkinson's, friends, neighbours, everybody, because I have this passion that every time you meet somebody with Parkinson's, you must try to learn something more about it. It doesn't matter what it is, but just so that you have a better understanding of what it's like. And this year, Parkinson's UK were repeating the same thing for the World Parkinson's Day as they did last year, which was, can you bathe a building in your town, blue. And I thought, with the amount of colleges there, I just didn't ever have any clue who I could contact to make a building blue. Or you could write a poem. And I was thinking, well, a poem, you have to go up to the attic, write a poem, you're on your own. That's not what I think it's all about. I think it's all about participation, opportunity to actually meet other people, hear from other people, exchange view news and views. So I came up with the idea of a big cream tea with the hope that more branches will have a go at doing it. We had a number of branches doing it this year. A branch in the south of England managed to get 100 people to their cream tea and sold 120 scones, which I think was very, very good. 
120 <laughs> scones. <laughs> they were lovely. Well, I bet they were. <laughs> How many did you get to yours? We had about 120 people there. Roy was there, and it was just... There didn't, seem, there didn't there. seem to be any systems at the time of diagnosis for referring people to groups or to resources to help them cope. You're just told, and then you're sent, uh, sent on your way, aren't you? But Sally has is, uh, done a thing called First Steps, mm. which is a support thing, which we're launch relaunching in Oxford, I believe. Yes. Oh. I wrote this some years ago um, with two other people to help people with Parkinson's who are newly diagnosed just come to terms with it, really, and find out what's out there, what they may or may not need, what Parkinson's is, what it isn't. And the advantage of having a, a group activity with, a, with probably five or six couples, because we always include the carer, everything we do in the branches include the carer. And uh, by having that, you had this cross-fertilisation of people and they made friends. And there's and Nick, who you've just been speaking with, met two other people who, and they've kept up their friendship ever since. And all three of them joined Oxford Group at the same time. It's the really other thing I should say about the Oxford Group, and Sally in particular, is just the, the humour with which she, she does things. The very first time I, I met Sally... And she was shaking quite violently. And I said, when did you first notice the tremor? And she said, well, the first time I noticed it was when I was putting a condom on. <laughs> and she said it was very, it was very embarrassing. Oh because God, she said it. it was very embarrassing because, you know, people were watching. And then she saw my gobsmacked expression and she said, sorry, I should have explained. I used to teach sex education. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, then again, recently, this morning when we picked up Nick, we, we were coming in on the M40 and we turned off to this, this Lutner turn and there were lots of cars parked there. And we were due to meet Nick there. And Sally turned to me and said, it's very like dogging. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's that ability to sort of talk in very comic terms yeah. about Parkinson's that mm. makes the, the, the branch such a, a, yeah. a happy place to be and a happy place to, to meet. Yes. And it's, we have the same experience. I suppose it was only a matter of time before you introduced dogging. I know. To this <laughs> it was inevitable. Wasn't it? Since that's the judge with the dog <laughs> on his leg. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, that's struck me. I was yeah. there at your tea, oh. and the moment I walked through the doors, you could feel the atmosphere. It was, it was lovely, yeah, wasn't it? Was it? Lovely. Yes. Your initiative is, is fantastic. And it's brilliant. But do you get the idea that there are still people, even in your area, that are alone, feel isolated, are not are not being contacted, not being connected? Absolutely, there are. And there are a lot of people who we do contact who don't want anything to do with it, with the group. With the group. They feel quite secure. But a, a very typical person who arrives to the group, I remember on many occasions people said, why haven't we come before? And I said, well, because the time wasn't right, you know. I mean, it's not finger-pointing and saying, well, we're here, you know, you should have known. That's, that's not going to get anybody anywhere. But I do think, if going back to Nick, what you, you were saying about information, mm. we are working hard at the moment to, to have to build a pack that is not generic, that has everything that you don't need to know yet about Parkinson's, but actually having some more pointed things to the First Sets programme, what is available from the branch, try to give people a bit more of a rounded understanding of what they may feel like this at the moment, but they might, might improve later. So what, what advice would you give anybody who's listening who thinks, sounds like a great idea, I'd love to have one of these cream teas, I'd love to have an organisation, how do I go about setting it up? Go to the Oxford website. <laughs> it's all on the Oxford website. And I think, and we're trying to now, this first, the first steps relaunched as, as 
as Paul was saying, because over COVID, it was taken from us, so to speak. It was like, that sounds brutal. It wasn't like that. And they put it on How Zoom. How do you find the uh, Oxford website? Yes, or Parkinson's UK, Oxford, and then it'll yeah. come up yeah. and you can follow. Okay. The link. But, I mean, yeah. should we be really taking people's names or something who have been diagnosed and we contact them or somebody contacts them? Because this whole apathy thing, the last thing I think you want to do when you've been diagnosed is to contact an organisation. There's another unfortunate thing, which is a lot of people, and I certainly felt this at first, thought... I don't want to be in a group with a bunch of old people. Mm. I didn't see myself as an old person. Mm. You feel this fierce independence. Mm. Edward Sturton said to me after having listened to a few of uh, these podcasts that he felt that clinicians should recommend to people who are diagnosing to listen to the podcast. Mm. They could do worse than that. Well, of course, everybody should listen to this podcast. Well, I mean, it should be mandatory, uh, but it would be a very good first port of call to direct you to the resources like Sally has to offer because I was given no advice at all. I had to work it out entirely for myself. So why am I the only person in this group to have joined a local group? Why? Well, that's you... a good question. I mean, because we've created our own one here, haven't we? Well, we saw that, partly, yeah. I don't know. I had Crohn's disease when I was very young, which it turns out is linked to the Parkinson's now, which I didn't realise at the time. And I talked to people about that and the people who had it were so miserable. And I just felt I don't want to talk about this with yeah, anyone yeah, again. Yeah. You know, it was so negative, and I'm not at all religious. And this one girl who I spoke to said, "Oh, it's fantastic to have Crohn's disease." And I said, "Why?" And she said, "Because I found God." And that for me was not an answer. Right. You know, yeah. she said, "I used to have an interesting job and interesting friends, but now I, you know, God and I have this relationship." And it was terrifying for me. So then I vowed not to ever go to a group, and that's I suppose spilled over. People have also told me that they don't want to. S- join a group because they don't want to see people further down the track and think, oh, that's where I'm heading. Yeah. Exactly. You look, you, look at, you, look, you look at someone like the judge and you think, Christ, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like him. Don't end up like that. <laughs> when I first went to the Oxford branch, I walked in and there were four people in wheelchairs and I just thought, this is not for me. But I had I had already spoken to the to the, to the chair of the of the branch and I said, thought, well, out of courtesy, I should say, this isn't for me. And I went up to him, but I didn't have the heart to say, it isn't for me. I said, I'm here <laughs> and sat yeah. down. But I've never seen, seen four people in wheelchairs ever since. And that's, you know, no been not that we ban wheelchairs. <laughs> yeah, not the ban wheelchairs. But, you know, I was diagnosed 15 years ago. So and I joined a group almost immediately. And the first thing I did was a skydive and it was whizzy. <laughs> <laughs> And you also have done a zip, skydive. A zip slide, yes, yes, skydive. Why not, Jeremy? <laughs> Why? Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why? Well, I, if I hadn't got Parkinson's, I wouldn't have done it. And I thought, if I got Parkinson's, what have I got to lose? <laughs> but Jeremy, before we formed this little cabal, you weren't a member of a group, or no, I wasn't. And I count my blessings, frankly, <laughs> because you found us. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a former judge who lives in Mansfield. He's quite badly impacted so that he's housebound and he's completely isolated and has nobody who he's able to talk to apart from on Zoom occasionally about his about the predicament in which he finds himself. Yes, and I've been... So apart from his wife, he has got nobody to talk to about this at all. And I've been in discussion with another group and they, they said that since COVID, a lot of people have failed to return, as it were. And there are hundreds of people in there, just their district who have no 
contact with anybody else with Parkinson's. And that, that sort of worries me. Well, maybe we could have an annual sort of get-together or something, a bit like the one we had in September. I was told I went to a Parkinson's boot camp, of all things, after I had my DBS operation. And they said, if you want your Parkinson's to be as bad as possible, first thing you do, don't take the medication. But second thing they said, most impactful was be on your own. Yes. And only then came the don't do exercise, eat badly, don't sleep, etc. So it's a very... Don't be on your own, yeah. Don't be on your own was number two after medication. Why don't you do something about that? I mean, there's there's no denying, and we've all acknowledged as often as we can that we are immensely privileged. We're well off, we've got devoted carers. If you're not well off and you live alone and you're diagnosed with Parkinson, life must be very tough indeed. Yes. And I'm very that conscious of that. You're taking us patronising. No, I'm not being patronising. No. I'm trying to be understanding. What advice would you give anyone listening to this? Join a group. Join a group. Join a group. Make contact with other people. Who... Make, make contact with other people, other parkies. Yeah. And share experiences. Don't be miserable. It's actually very difficult because we've been trying to set up parky pals in Oxford to do just this. We already fund respite care for so that carers can have a break from the, the not too fine word drudgery of of dealing with with this illness that is enveloping their their loved one in such a full way. And we have been trying very hard to do this, but we are advised because of insurance, because of safety of each other and so forth. We're not to go into homes. We're not to well, that's invite ridiculous. people. I'm sorry, but, but the most really important thing is to help one another, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. If she sort of so tips her around red tape like yeah. that, I don't think we'll get anywhere. But maybe what we should do is ask people now to just email us if they're in that situation. And then at least we'll have a sense of... And we'll know how serious yeah. it well, is. Yeah. We'll have a sense, won't we? Yeah. And just a reminder, the email, if you do want to get in touch, is feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. And it doesn't have to be eloquent and it doesn't. It can be littered full of typos. Who cares? Just write to us. And don't forget the Facebook page either. And thank Sally for all she does and for coming here today. And thank you all for joining me in this pub where we've had a bit of a moan but perhaps learned something. I think it's been, I think it's been quite I think it's been constructive, very actually. I think it really has. But you didn't bring any scones. So where's, no, the, you didn't. where's the cream tea? Oh, well, actually, so Sarah and I are going home to a cream tea. You're going, oh, I see, you're being divisive. And also because you're my being wife elite. is not here at the moment, I'm also going home to buy, to to buy, buy my secret stash of chocolate. Okay, to buy chocolate. You've been listening to Movers and Shakers with me, Rory Catherine-Jones, and my friends Gillian Lacey-Solomar, Mark Mardell, Paul Mayhew-Archer, Nicholas Mostyn, and Jeremy Paxman. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Poddo. Our theme music is by Alex Stobbs and cover artwork by Till Lucat. Thanks again to Boardwave for their support. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app and do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. We're also on Twitter at MoversAnd6. That's Movers and the number six. So please share the show there and email any thoughts or questions to feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. See you next week.